Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, I hope that as we've been spending some time over the past couple of months looking at Acts, that you've enjoyed it and benefited from it and started to learn some new things about what happened in the early church. Have you? No. Okay. Well, one of the things you may have already noticed is that Luke was quite an accomplished narrator. He had an eye for detail. He saw what was going on behind the scenes, underneath the surface. And he recorded things with a sort of warts and all style. He wasn't put off. He told it as it was. Now, as you become more familiar with the book and also with his gospel, you begin to find other things in his writing style. And one of them is that the way he adds emphasis to certain events is by keep repeating himself. Now, there are certain phrases that reoccur throughout the book. And actually, we've already seen one of them. You may remember that in the early chapters, Luke uses similar phrases two or three times. In Acts 2.41, he says, and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. And then just a few verses later, in verse 47, he says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then I think it was only last week, when although we were reading about the death of Ananias and Sapphira, and although we read that the early church was held in high regard, it said people were afraid to associate with them. But then in Acts 5 verse 14 it says, Nevertheless, more and more women and men believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And so here we've got a recurrent theme that whatever was happening in the church, God was adding people to their number. Even when they were afraid to be associated with them, he added more and more. And today, as we start to look at the beginning of chapter 6, we're going to find another phrase that reoccurs. So, although we're going to concentrate on this passage in chapter 6, we're going to look briefly at two other passages as well. So, I'm going to start off reading Acts chapter 6 at the beginning of the chapter. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. 
<coughs> they chose Stephen, a man for the faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicandor, Timon, Pharminus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So here we read about the first power struggle in the church. And unfortunately, it's something that has dogged the church's history. But before looking in detail at that, turn to Acts 20, and we're going to look at another passage. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then that man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burnt them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now in both those passages, we see the same sort of phrase. The word of the God spread. The word of God grew. And when we look at the third passage as well, we will find the same. So let's just have a look at the situation that caused God's word to spread. Whenever we see God move, God's kingdom coming into focus, we find people who want to be in on the act. Their motives may differ, but without being believers, they want to be part of the action. Maybe some of them want fame, some of them might want influence, and they see others gaining that, and they want to be in on it. The difference, of course, is that they are not true believers and won't necessarily be giving the glory to Jesus. And here in Acts, we see that isn't a modern problem. In those early days of the church, there were Jews who wanted to be in on the action. In fact, they were the sons of a chief priest. And so they started travelling around, driving out demons. And to do so, they used the name and the authority of Jesus. But they had a problem. 
because they weren't believers, they had no personal relationship with him. And so although they declared the authority in the name of Jesus, they didn't have permission to use that name. So actually, they were a little bit more clever. They didn't just say, in the name of Jesus, come out. They said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. But one day, one of the demons challenged them. He said to them, where does your authority come from? I know of Jesus. I understand his authority. I know I have to submit there. But where does your authority come from? I've heard of Paul. I know that he exercises the name of Jesus and has the authority to do so. But who are you? And we see that as a result, the man turned on them and they were badly beaten. But here's the interesting bit. It says in verse 17, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. I can understand that bit. Here were some men that had been badly beaten up. It said they had to flee for their lives, naked and bleeding. But it goes on. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. So this had quite an impact. It goes on. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls and burnt them publicly. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The news of what had happened caused Christ's name to be lifted on high, to be revered all the more. And as a result... People believed, people repented, and people were added to the church. What we're talking about is the word of God increased. Whereas superstition and fakery didn't. It shriveled. Let's have another look at another passage. The background to this passage is that King Herod has begun persecution against the church. What he's been doing is going around, arresting them and putting them in prison. And as a part of that, he'd already martyred James and he'd now arrested Peter. And we're looking in Acts 12 and I'm going to start reading from verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought it was a vision. 
they passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a server girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! Ah, you're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He'd been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now they joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace, because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Here what we see is God taking a stand against the corrupt, diseased, political opponent of the church at the time. The angel that had woken Peter up and freed him now struck Herod down in a grisly death. Because it doesn't say he died and was eaten by worms. It says he was eaten by worms and died. Certainly I know what that implies to me. But they started munching before he was dead. Can you imagine it? That is not a pleasant way to go. Yet, what it says is, the word of God continued to increase and spread. And the thing is, we see that today. In areas where there is intense persecution, the church grows and prospers. The word of God grew 
And do you know what? Politics couldn't stop it. So now we go back to Acts 6. So the word of God spread. Here, the contrast isn't with fakery and superstition. It's not with political ambition. But it's with something in the internal health of a church. A dispute had broken out. At that point, the church comprised of two main elements. The first were Hebraic Jews from Jerusalem. They spoke Hebrew. And then you had, coming in from other regions, Greek-speaking Jews. The reason they speak Greek was because they'd been out in the wider world. They'd been involved in commerce. Because at that time, two major languages dominated that part of the world. Latin, for the Roman part, and Greek, as you went further east. So here, we have the Greek-speaking Jews complaining But the vulnerable in their community were being overlooked in the provision of welfare. Now, there's nothing in the passage that suggests that this was anything other than an accidental oversight. But nonetheless, it had all the potential to split the church and to cause disunity. Now, dispute and disunity is a terrible thing in churches. The reason is, there is no disunity in the Trinity. So a split church cannot represent God. Because there's no such thing as disunity in God. Split churches are rarely focused on their mission. They're too bound up with their own problems. So they're not evangelistic, they're not missional in their outlook. And so the progress of the gospel is slowed down. Disunity saps our physical and our emotional energy. So we don't have the capacity to serve God and the church in the same way. So it's a terrible thing. Unfortunately, the apostles picked it up and they acted quickly. And what they did was they called the church together. It said they brought together all the disciples. They were open and honest about the problem and they discussed it with the disciples. Recognising that the ministry of spreading the word of God shouldn't be neglected in order to resolve the problem. They were showing wisdom. Because they recognised that waiting on tables wasn't the main calling of the church. And in fact, it wasn't the main calling of the apostles themselves. There's a well-known Christian writer called J.C. Ryle. He, He was a bishop, actually. And he wrote, A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees only one thing. He cares only for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. 
Whether he lives or dies, whether he has health or sickness, whether he is rich or poor, whether he pleases men or is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or praise, whether he gets honour or shame, for all this the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing. And that is to please God and advance God's glory. The apostles were zealous men. And they could see what was the main thing they were meant to be doing and what was the distraction. For them, the main thing was the ministry of the word and prayer. And if they'd got involved with waiting on tables, it would have stopped them doing the main thing. So they appointed others. But I want you to notice here, they didn't just appoint anyone. It says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And so what it shows us is even to serve in a practical way, they were expected to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So an election takes place. I think the result is quite surprising. Here we've got a dispute between two factions, the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews. So what you might have expected was that seven men represented a mix of the two opinions. But actually, that's not what we see here. It isn't a mix of Greek and Hebraic Jews. All seven names there are Greek. And this shows the type of unity that came out of the issues. The Hebraic Jews, because of the way it was handled, had no fear that the Greeks would overlook their needs. A deep-seated unity came out of it. No residual discrimination could be left over for the Greek speakers and the Hebraic speakers were happy with the situation. And the result of this decision was that grumbling stopped. But the word of God spread. In fact, it says, even the Sanhedrin, the ruling council made up of the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, was affected. It says in verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Can you imagine it? You have an argument in church and because you handle it in a godly way, people are saved. The word of God grew while grumbling and complaint was dealt with. There's a saying I want us to remember. 
the main thing for us must be to make sure that the main thing is always the main thing. I'm sure. The main thing for us to remember is to make sure that the main thing is always the main thing. Yeah? God's word will always prosper. Here in these three passages we see it spread when it was challenged by fakery. It grew when it was challenged by politics. And it increased when it was challenged by disunity. But the main thing is to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. Now, at some stage, we may have a mums and toddlers group. We may be running social events and quiz nights. We may run all sorts of other activities. But we have to remember that of themselves, they are not the main thing. Because if we get that wrong, we become a social club. The main thing that we have to remember is God's kingdom and its extension. His word and its spread. The church and its growth. Because if we don't do that, we will lose our zeal. The main thing is for us to make sure the main thing remains the main thing. So I want to ask you, what's the main thing in your life at the moment? Is it the right thing? What are the things that distract us and make us forget the main thing? Do we handle our disputes in a scriptural way? Or do we let them give root to disunity, division and distrust? In Philippians 2.14 it says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Would people see God's kingdom in the way we conduct ourselves? And those are sobering questions. The main thing is to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.